Good morning, church. It is so great to be with you. I wanna welcome you guys to Abundant Life. Uh, my name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here, and I also wanna give a shout out to those of you watching or listening online, uh, those of you joining us through a podcast. So great to have you guys wherever you are uh, joining us. That's awesome as well. Before we begin today, I wanna do a couple things. First, I wanna say thank you to Pastor Aaron for last week's message. Absolutely. If you were here, you know why they're clapping. Uh, it was an incredible message, and if you missed it, you need to go online and, and see what uh, Pastor Aaron brought us. She did an incredible job, uh, and that was a great weekend. Second thing I wanna let you know is that as a church, we've been in a season of dreaming, of going, God, what would you want us to do? And if we were just to say yes, uh, what would you challenge us, and what would you put on our hearts? And, and through the process of praying about that and dreaming about that, a number of goals uh, you know, emerged that we set for ourselves and went, okay, this sounds intense and scary, but we're gonna, we're gonna uh, go for it, we're gonna try it. One of them involved foster care. And we felt like, okay, God, what can we do about this? And, and so in the next five years, we've set a goal as a church, so all of our communities, that we would foster 250 kids as a church. Now, that's a huge goal, and that would not happen unless God shows up in huge ways and you guys show up in huge ways, but we just think something is happening, and we're trying to be a part of that and trying to bless our communities. Now, in light of that, you'll notice, okay, oh, there's a number of things we're talking about with fostering, and, and that's why if you're here for Easter, we did an Easter offering. We raised more than 65000 for an organization called Embrace Oregon that is on the front lines of what's going on, uh, in, in particular in, in Oregon. Uh, but also let you know of an opportunity this Tuesday night, May 21st, uh, we have uh, an event where you get to come to the Happy Valley campus, drink some coffee and have some drinks, and listen to foster families just tell stories. And some of you, uh, you, you're like, look, God is like putting something on my heart, there's like this little nudge, I'm just not sure what to do with it. And, and here's what I'm gonna ask you. Would you be willing to come listen to them as you listen to God? And go, all right, God, what is it you're asking us to do? Uh, my wife and I became foster parents. Uh, look, we would never have done this if it would have been like zero to 60, you gotta do all of it. It just involves a step forward. And some of you, you know, this is the step forward. You're not committing anything. Uh, you're just showing up to listen at 7 p.m. this Tuesday night. I wanna encourage you, if God has even remotely nudged you, it's time to take that next step forward and go, all right, I'm gonna come listen and, and just see what comes out of that and see what God might do. All right, so today we're beginning a brand new series. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. If you've got a, a physical analog Bible, that's awesome. Get that out. Uh, we're gonna be in the New Testament. If you've got a Bible app on a phone, it's okay. We're not gonna judge you for getting your phone out unless you're texting or Facebook, and then we will judge you. But if you are on the Bible app, you're not gonna get judged. Uh, we'd love for you to read along. That would be great. We're gonna begin a brand new series today called Brothers, Managers, and dead people. So get your journals out. This might be the, my favorite title I've ever come up with for a series. And it's also one that I'm getting more questions on than ever before going, what on earth is this? My 10 year old son saw this and, and he thought it was like a linear progression. And he goes, man, bad deal for the brothers. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's, they don't become managers and then they die. It's not how this works. <laughs> These are three different stories that Jesus tells. Now here's the reality, I was reading in Luke the other day and I noticed something I've never noticed before. I've grown up in the church, I've been a Christian as long as I can remember, I never noticed what I noticed the other day is that all three of these stories in Luke 15 and Luke 16 
all go back to back to back. Luke puts them in this order. But I have never heard them taught together. I have never even read them together. We normally keep chapter 15 by itself because that's got three stories. But I, I ask the question, is there something that Luke is trying to do in the way that Luke puts these three stories together? And so we're gonna spend the next uh, month looking at that, going, okay, why these three stories? What's going on here? And here's what I love. Jesus is going to offer us, okay, and these are all his stories he told. He's gonna offer us a better way to live. I, I, I believe that. But he's not gonna give you 10 steps on, if you do these 10 things and check these off, he's gonna tell a story. And, and for some of us, we're like, just tell me what to do. Like, why, why do I have to have a story? But Jesus is like, you know, one day there was, I mean, it's just like how he, he would preach. And I love this, and so we're gonna now react to it and go, why did he tell a story? What was in this story? And here's the reality. Jesus is the master storyteller, and we're gonna see why. There's so many incredible things. And so we're gonna see what do we do with what we have. That's the theme of these three stories, and Jesus is gonna tell it in a variety of different ways, and I think you're gonna realize, oh, he's offering us a better way to live. So if you're with me, Luke chapter 15, we're gonna begin reading in verse 11, and here's what I would tell you, is, is if you've been a Christian a long time, and, and if you, uh, you, know, you read your Bible, you're gonna like, oh, I know this story. I'm gonna come at this a different angle. Uh, this story is not normally uh, taught in the way that I'm gonna teach it, and so hopefully you see some things, you go, I've never read that story like that, and, and we'll just let it speak to us today. Jesus says this, there was a man who had two sons. Can you just imagine just sitting around and he's like, ooh, story time with Jesus, okay, I'm in. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now I'll stop there. Uh, normally we think of this story as the parable of the prodigal son. In fact, if you have a, a heading in your Bible, you might have something about the prodigal son or the lost son. Uh, that's how we tend to think about it. But I want you to notice what Jesus says right out of the gate. There was a man who had how many sons? Two. We tell this story about one son and we're missing the point of the story. And so I wanna reframe today as two brothers. See where I'm going there? As two brothers, not as one son, because Jesus is telling a story about two of them. And we're gonna see how the two of them interact with one another and that shapes a lot of how this story plays out. They are Brothers. Now, one of these brothers, the younger one, goes to his father and he asks for an inheritance. Now, let's modernize this. What would this be like? Imagine going to your parents, sitting them down, and maybe you, you give them a nice meal first, and you say, Hey, um, I'm curious, what is in your will that would go to me? And, and so your parents go, Oh, well, we've decided you get, you know, this percentage of our stuff. And you're like, Well, what about the car? Oh, yeah, the car is going to be yours. And you, know, you start getting into the nitty gritty of things. Then you say, I would like that now. Now, how many of you think that's gonna be a pleasant conversation around your, your family table, right? Probably not, I don't know about you, but my dad would not respond well to that conversation. Uh, it would be an incredible insult, because what I'm saying is, uh, this relationship is essentially dead, doesn't really matter to me, I just wanna know what, what do I get from you? Like, I'm not interested in you, I wanna know what I get from you. Now, imagine that you didn't have this conversation, but your sibling, had this conversation with your parents and you found out about it. How does that make you feel? You'd be a little hostile with your sibling, right? You might go to that brother or that sister and go, you asked mom and dad for what? What are you thinking? How could you do that? Imagine the tension there. Now imagine that your parents said yes. They gave it. 
They gave the inheritance to your sibling. You'd be going, wait, 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 wait. What is going on here? How does that change all of the relational dynamics? But here's one of the things you, you gotta note in this story, and this is one of the details we miss, and so we miss a lot of what happens. Notice that Jesus says the father divides the inheritance between both of them. See, we tend to read this as the father gives the, the younger brother, you know, the younger son his part, and then the other son doesn't. But the father divides it all up. He goes, all right, here's the will, here's what you get, here's what you get, and he gives it out. One brother takes his part of the will and leaves, and the other brother takes his part and stays. And that's the way the story plays out. Go to verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. That sounds fun. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. That doesn't necessarily stir up any emotional reaction to us. Understand that Jesus is telling this to a Jewish audience who view pigs as unclean. So this is like rock bottom that Jesus is portraying here. This is the worst of the worst. Verse 16, the son longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. And so this son represents, this brother represents uh, someone who has gone and done life their way, on their terms, and lived it up, but it didn't work out. Now, we find out why it didn't work out, because there was a severe famine. And if there wasn't a severe famine, this son would have had everything going for him. And some of you, you relate with this brother, because that's been your story. You have done life on your terms, you have lived it up, you have squandered your wealth, and it would have worked out, except for that one thing. And something broke it, you know, and my product wasn't a famine for you, but something happened, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I wasn't prepared for that. And now you're in this moment going, well, what's next, and, and, and what do I do? And, and so maybe you have felt that, that feeling of being rock bottom, going, wow, I, this has not lived up. Maybe you've done life your way, but it wasn't all that it was promised and so now you look around and go, you know what, I thought it would be different. I thought I would feel different. I thought uh, it would just be a different situation than it is. And, and this is what this brother feels. It reminds me of something that Warren Buffett said, and I love, uh, I love the imagery here. He said, when the tide goes out, you can tell who was skinny dipping. <laughs> That's a great analogy, right? That it all works, skinny dipping's fine, as long as the water level is high enough. But the moment the tide goes out, you're like, oh no. I wasn't prepared for this, you know? And some of you, you have been skinny dipping your whole life, maybe literally and metaphorically, right? And some of you are like, that's just how I live, you know? I go, I go hard, I, just, I enjoy life. And then the tide goes out, you're like, oh boy. See, I don't know if it's what the tide is for you, what the famine is for you, but, but some of you, you know this lifestyle. It was going well until it wasn't. And here's what you're gonna realize as you read this story. The only thing that keeps you from what God wants to do next in your life 
is your pride. It's the only thing. This, this son, this other brother, has to come to his senses, the way Jesus phrases it. He comes to his senses. He goes, you know what? This is stupid. This is dumb. This is not offering me the life I thought I was getting. And he decides, I'm gonna go a different direction. I don't want more of this. And if you don't want more of what your life has been, all you have to do is acknowledge that. And go, you know what? I, I want something else. And you too can experience what this brother is going to experience. Go to verse 20. So he, he's gonna come home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, this is the speech he had practiced, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now at this point in the story, and Jesus is telling it, I would have loved to see people's faces. They're like, wait, what? The dad did what? How many of you, think about the, the lowest time, maybe you're growing up you know, in your teenage years, the worst moment you ever had, and you come groveling back to your parents, is that how they met you? Some of you are like, whoa, my story played out way different than this kid, right? That is just not how dads are. That's not how parents are. You're going, wait, the dad did what? To the, the brother who had squandered, who had, who had insulted him and told him essentially he's dead and all this. The, the dad does what? I mean, you just hear that and you're going, that doesn't make any sense. And, and here's what you need to picture. A Jewish patriarch in his sandals and, and a long robe running to a son. This would have been a disgraceful image for a patriarch in that day. They would not run and especially run because of a wayward child. That wouldn't happen except in Jesus' story. See, Jesus began to show us what God is really like because Jesus is God and Jesus is the fullness of God. So Jesus can let us in on behind the scenes and, and here's the reality for some of us, we, we're just a little bit uncomfortable with this image of God. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So this is how God responds to sinners like, I don't know. You know what, Jeremy, I think you're just taking this story out of context. There's no way God can be like this. Except the Apostle Paul said it like this. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Oh, wait. Uh, you remember when you were a little kid and your, your favorite line is, that's not fair. Wait, Jesus, that's not fair. You can't, you can't run the world like that. You can't operate like that. It makes no sense. You have to hold people's sins against them. I, I mean, if you don't, we have all these questions and all this conundrum comes up, right? Because that's not the way the world works. Except if you're Jesus. You're like, yeah, this is how God is. This is how I am. Like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm gonna reconcile the world to myself. And the rest of us are like, whoa. You know who has the biggest problem with this? Christians. It's not non-Christians. Because if you're here and you're exploring this and you wouldn't consider yourself Christian, first off, so glad you're here. Glad you're a part of this. You're welcome here. Uh, but you like this, right? You, you like this image of God. Like, oh, cool. Like, I could, I could be on a board with a God like that. You know who doesn't like this? The Christians who have been following God for years and years and were like, 
um, yeah, but Jesus, like, I'll tell you a few people that you should count their sins against them, right? Because, like, there's a few of them. You really, we just don't know what to do with this image. And this is why this story is so brilliant. And here's the reality. I think that Jesus could have easily ended the story here. And we'd go, wow, what an amazing God. He, he's so loving, he's so gracious. Even when we sin, oh, so cool, a God like that. But then you get to the most shocking part of the story. Go to verse 25. Meanwhile, best transition word ever. <laughs> Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. <laughs> oh, best response ever. So he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Time out. Who owns the fattened calf? The brother does. That's an important detail because remember, he's already divided up the inheritance, already been given to him. That is how you understand the very next phrase. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, ooh, when you talk about your own sibling like that, this son of yours, dad, I have nothing to do with him, right? Not a brother to me. When this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, missed that part of the story, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Notice this phrase. And everything I have is yours. This is literally true. It's already been given to him. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, I love it, the father reframes it right back on him. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, if we're honest, this brother has a legitimate complaint. And some of you, you're paying attention, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, yeah, it was, you know, his posture's not great, but he has a point, right, that the dad is giving away his stuff. And so if you're keeping track, the younger brother gets his half of the inheritance, and now he's getting some of his brother's half of the inheritance. And we go, that's not fair. And some of you, you know what this older brother feels like because this has been your story. You've done life the right way. You have not gone and squandered your wealth. You have played by the rules. And you feel like God owes you. You are entitled to certain things from God because of your good behavior. God, you owe this to me. And some of you know exactly what this older brother is feeling. But here's the shocking part. Jesus doesn't resolve the story. That's how it ends. The older brother is left out of the party. And what this shows us is something that we should take note of today. See, as a church, we have a mission statement, giving ourselves to make the gospel 
good news for others. It is what the older brother should have done and decided I don't want to give myself for my younger brother. And here's the point. If you decide you don't want to live like this, don't miss it, you suffer first. You're the first one out of the party. Some of us, were going, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I don't wanna do that because it's gonna cost me. It will cost you. But the irony is you will miss the party if you decide I'm not living like this. I'm living for me. It is just about me. I don't want to give for anyone else. You suffer first. The older brother is the one who misses the party. And the younger brother, the wayward brother, is the one who gets to celebrate. Now, good thing that we don't act like these brothers, right? Now, let's play a little game together. And I want you to answer this question honestly, not the way you think you're supposed to answer it because it's a trick question, okay? So I want you to honestly answer this question. Which one would you buy, okay? You're in a store and you have two options and here's option number one. Shoes priced at $60, Now, I was asked on Thursday night when I preached this, what do the shoes look like? (laughs) I don't know. Imagine your favorite pair of shoes, what you would like to wear on your feet. They are $60. Go with that, okay? Shoes, price $60. That is exhibit A, option number one. Or option number two, similar shoes, priced at $100, but on sale for 40% off. Come on now, come on. So put yourself, you're at the store, you see the two shoes, they look very similar. One, $60, one, $100 at 40% off. What's going on here? Well, this is called relative value. Relative value is how we change the perception of something's value based on other details around it. Now here's the thing. This should not matter. They are both $60 shoes. They're exactly the same. They look the same. They're very similar. There should be no difference between them. But relative value causes you to look at this item and go, this is a deal. Right? And you're feeling that. Now, here's the reality. I'm not going to do a show of hands because I don't trust you guys to be honest in church. But most of you, I'm just shooting you straight. Most of you... You would choose option number two and you know it, okay? You would be in the store, you would choose option two and you go, yeah, that makes sense. Now, maybe you're like, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't, I don't shop for shoes. Okay, uh, let me visually illustrate the same thing. Check this out. It is very clear that the, the uh, black circle on the left is bigger than the black circle on the right, except as you probably are catching on, they're exactly the same right? But your eyes don't tell you that. Your brain is trying to get you going. Oh, he's trying to trick us. Don't fall into it, right? So now you know these two circles are exactly the same size, but they don't look like the same size. They don't feel like it. Why? Because of relative value, because of what is around them causes us to change what we actually see. This is a powerful concept in understanding life. One guy learned this lesson the hard way. His name was Ron Johnson. Ron Johnson was the CEO of JCPenney. Now, I don't know if you're a JCPenney fan, uh, but JCPenney is notorious for marking up their prices and then putting them back on sale. 
Now, you might think that's a little bit weird, but that's how JCPenney has, has built their, their company and built their brand, and, and that's how they've made you know, uh, the, the, their whole following. Now, in 2012, Ron Johnson becomes CEO of JCPenney. And Ron takes a look at all the things that JCPenney is doing and marking up things and then putting them back on sale. And he goes, whoa, 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 this is weird. Why are we doing this? And so he decides, he uses the phrase, fair and square pricing. And so he gets rid of uh, sales and bargains and coupons and discounts and goes, you know what? We're just going to charge people the real price for things and not do the whole charade and the whole game and mark them up and mark them down. Now, here's the deal. This meant that the prices were the same. They just looked differently. Now, we might go, yes, way to go, Ron. Thank you for a leader like this who's going to lead us forward objectively, who's gonna keep us from getting confused and getting sidetracked, and we need more leaders like Ron who are willing to turn organizations around and help us all be more honest and more transparent, and we would all be better for guys like Ron. Except if you know the story, within a year, JCPenney lost $985 million dollars, and Ron got fired. <laughs> Poor Ron. What's going on here? See, why would we, objectively, we're going, yes, we want someone to just tell us what really is, but relative value is a strong drug. Relative value can make you feel all kinds of things. Because when you have relative value, you all of a sudden, you, you get that bargain, you get that $100 pair of shoes and it's 40% off, and you now feel a little better about yourself. You now feel like you, you got a deal that other people wouldn't get like you got it. And, and you have something above other people. And all of a sudden, we add all kinds of other values, other narratives in to what's going on. And it can cause us to lose sight of what is actually in front of us. And I'd like to suggest that as we look at the story of the two brothers, they are suffering from relative value. Because of everything else around what they have been given, they are confused and they are not seeing it ac accurately. They both think they know how to get more out of their dad. Oh, I'm gonna get more than my brother got and I'm gonna figure this out. And they're both trying to maximize the system. But they both represent ways that you and I can miss out on what God has for us. And so I, I want you to think, maybe you're like the younger brother. And maybe you're trying to, to enjoy life on your terms, enjoy things on your terms, in your way. And so you're not gonna wait around for God to give it to you. You're gonna go and take it and take what you want. And maybe you wouldn't be worth as much by the time God gave it to you. So go and pursue things on your terms because that's how you get more out of it. Or maybe like the older brother going, look, I'm gonna play by the rules, I'll follow the rules, and that way God will owe me more. I'll have him in my debt. And that way I can leverage him and I can control him and I've got one up on God because God has to do what I want. Either way, you can easily conclude that God has no right to your stuff. Hey, this is mine, God. You don't get to, to speak into this. Uh, that, I, I come and visit you on, on the weekend, you know, we do church. You don't get to decide what I do with my stuff. But because these brothers are focused on relative value, they are missing the absolute value. And the absolute value is that their father is willing to share everything with them. Their father is trying to celebrate with them. 
but they can't see it. You see, the easiest way to miss the party is to assume that God's stuff is your stuff. It's the easiest way for you and I to miss what God has for us, to, to assume that God's stuff is your stuff. And most of us would go, what? yeah, that's my stuff. I, I worked for it, I earned it, I did this, I did that. And we easily go into this narrative, it is all my stuff. What right has God to have any say in it? But I would like to suggest, it's probably a healthier thing to imagine that God has already given you your inheritance. And now he's watching what you do with it. And now he's trying to, to not let it ruin you and not let it spoil you after he has given this to you. See, we do the same thing today. I deserve to go shopping. I, I, just, I deserve it. So I'm, I'm gonna go spend whatever I want. I deserve an upgrade. It could be any, you know, a toy that you have, a, a boat, a camper, whatever. I, I deserve an upgrade. And I'm gonna go upgrade it because it's, it's been a while. I deserve this house. I know it's huge. I know it's way bigger than I need. My family's not that big. But I deserve this house. I deserve a vacation. Oh, I went on vacation two weeks ago. Yeah, but I worked hard since then. And I deserve another one, you know. And so I'm gonna go on vacation all inclusive because I deserve it. I deserve this new vehicle. Yeah, I know my other vehicle worked fine, but this vehicle's newer, and I like it, and I deserve it. And like a savvy JCPenney shopper, we think we are gaming the system. I'm getting so much out of life because I am getting what is owed me. Now, brace yourself. I want, I want to ask you a question. This is between you and God. Here's the question. When was the last time you asked God what you should do with his Oh, Jeremy, I did not come to church for that question, right? When was the last time you asked God what you should do with his stuff? Now, some of you might be going, what do you mean his stuff? It's my stuff. I, I don't have any of his stuff. Well, if you find yourself thinking that, just realize that you have really taken that inheritance and run, right? Because God has given us and now he's looking at us going, well, why is it affecting you like that? Well, I already have that view of it like that, right? So think about the vehicle that you drive. How are you looking after that? Does it bless you and your family only? Or does that vehicle that you drive bless other people as well? Because you know it's not just your stuff. You get to enjoy it, but, but it's God's stuff. And so you, you use it for other people as well. What about the house that you live in? Does that bless you and your family? Or do you use your house to bless other people as well because it's God's stuff, and, and so why would you not? And of course you're gonna use it like that. What about your finances? Do they bless you and your family, or do your finances bless other people because it's God's finances, it's God's stuff, and you just naturally would use it like that? So you begin to realize that we can easily fall into either one of these two brothers and easily miss what God has for us. But here's the good news. If you decide, you know what, I don't wanna miss the party. I don't wanna miss the celebration. I don't wanna miss the reality that God is a generous father running to me, ready to celebrate. I, I don't wanna be left out on that. The moment you decide you don't wanna keep playing this game, God is ready to bring you back in. I mean, notice the father reaches out to both of these brothers. He runs toward the younger son, and to the older one, he goes out and he pleads with him. The, the father is actively going to each of us, no matter where we spin out, but he will not force you back inside. He will not make you come back into the party if you decide not to, but he's gonna plead with you. Go, look, I've got something better for you if you would just trust me. But many of us, we, we miss the, the best that God has for us 
because we think we know best. No, 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 no. Hey, Father, I, I got this one. Just trust me. I know what I'm doing here. God's going, I got something better for you. I, I just wish you would trust me. I wish you would experience it. So what are you doing with what God has given to you? I wanna close with something that Pastor Tim Keller, in, in, in responding to Luke 15, the story we just read, something that he said about this story. We'll end on this. Neither son loved the father for himself. They both were using the father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. This means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking his rules or by keeping all of them diligently. It's a shocking message. God's not gonna make you come back to the party, but he will do everything he can to plead with you, to run after you, to invite you to realize that yes, he has given it to you, but he wants to enjoy it with you. You know the coolest thing that could have happened in this story is if the older brother was the one, when he saw his younger brother showing up, that he decided, hey, let's kill the fattened calf because my brother was lost and now he's home and he could be the one to get the party going, invite the dad in. What if we were the church, we were the kind of Christians that got the party going for others? Let's pray. Jesus, would you reach out to us? Would you grab us when we are suffering from relative value, when we think that we are the savvy shopper that has figured it out, and when you know that we are missing the party? We can so easily get so confused about what you have given us. And I, I pray for all of us, whether we have known you or we're intrigued by you, that we would get to experience you, get to experience the celebration of life with you and see how generous and reckless your love is for us. So God, may we not miss the party because we think we know better, but may we see the absolute value that you have right in front of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.